Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I pray that you use this time. You would use your text to do what it should. God, that you would encourage us. Yes, encourage us this morning. That you would speak to us. Yes, God, we ask that you speak to us. Lord, we also ask that you would convict us this morning. That there are things going on in our lives, God, that we would become aware of them. That you would challenge us. Father, that your text would do what only your text can do. That you would cause us to soar. That we may advance your kingdom. For that's what all of this is about. So be with us now, God. We are so thankful that where two or more are gathered, you are right here with us, Jesus. So we welcome you into this place humbly. May you do things that only you can do. I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, let's just look at what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. This is like the classic things that it's the beginning of all of his letters that we skip over. This is why I love it. Uh, To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The city of Ephesus Okay, let's go back to it. Ancient Ephesus, it's in what would be modern-day Turkey. It was a massive city. Uh, 300,000 people lived here. It was a New York City, a LA, a London, Tokyo. That's what Ephesus was like, massive. It was a center of trade, so people would come all over. In fact, at one point, it was actually the capital of ancient Asia. It was a major, major city where lots of massive things happened. And the most important thing in all of Ephesus, the, the whole city revolved around one person, and it was the goddess Artemis. We're going to say, everyone say Artemis with me. Say Artemis. Oh, that was bad. Say Artemis with me. Artemis. Ooh, you're so smart. I love it. Okay, the goddess Artemis, okay? Artemis was known as the goddess of fertility, the goddess of blessing. She was known as the many-chested one. She was the one who anything good that happened to you in your life, anything at all was because Artemis willed that it happened to you. Every blessing, every good in anything that could, you get a raise at work. It's because Artemis looked upon you and said, you deserve a raise. If you get demoted at work, it's because Artemis looked at you and said, you don't deserve one. If you know your food, the steak you cooked tastes really good. It's a perfect medium rare. Artemis willed it to be a perfect medium rare. Um, if you're, you have children, Artemis granted you to have children. If your children are healthy, it's because Artemis saw you, decided to grant you favor and made you have that. Everything in the city of Ephesus, it's money was all about her. It's political systems. Everyone who was elected were adamant at Artemis followers. Everything about the city, its trade, its commerce, every single thing, its schools were dedicated to the learning and the teaching of the great Artemis goddess. And at the center of Ephesus, at the center of all of this Artemis worship was the famous Temple of Artemis. We think we have an artist rendering. This is what the Temple of Artemis looked like. It was one of the seven great ancient wonders of the world. It has 127 pillars that that support this. Each one are 60 feet high. This is a six-story building. You know that famous building in Greece that's still in there? What is it? Acropolis? Is that what it is? It like, it is, Artemis Temple dwarfs that thing. It's like three times the size of what that was. It was a massive structure. I think we have another slide here just because I like multiple pictures. This is what what, uh, one artist had it massive, unbelievable thing. And inside of it were shrines. It was just filled with shrines and statues of Artemis. 
and, and over a million people would come every year. And that's a, that's a lot of people who are traveling by donkey and feet um, to Ephesus every year to come to the temple, pray to the goddess Artemis that she would bless them because they wanted good things to happen to them. Now, there's an ancient historian who wrote about the temple of Artemis. And he said things like, his quote was, I have seen the great pyramids of Egypt and I have stood in the hanging gardens of Babylon. But when I saw the temple of Artemis, I would say the sun shed its light on nothing sublimer. Out of all of the ancient wonders of the world, this guy said, I've seen them. The pyramids in Egypt, eh. I've been in the hanging gardens of Babylon, which were air conditioned, by the way. I don't know how they did that, but they were. The ancient, I've stood in there, but once I saw the temple of Artemis, those things, forgettable. This was the pride and joy of the whole world, was the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. There is actually, it was just discovered in the late 1800s and 1960s. They actually found one of the pillars. There it is. It's right there in Turkey. You can actually go there. I have a friend who has gone there and he likes to remind me every time uh, he sees me that he's been here and I haven't. He's a jerk. Um, so <laughs> there it is. They've stood it up. It's, it's just this phenomenal, phenomenal sight. The whole world revolved around this Artemis of the Ephesians here. So got a little background on what's going on. You feel ready? Let's go. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. Let's see what was happening. Here we go. Acts 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. You'll notice it in your Bible. Way is a capital W. You see that? Yeah. Okay. The early believers were known by multiple names. Sometimes they were known by Christians. Sometimes they were known as Nazarenes. And sometimes they were known as people of the way. And that came because Jesus said one time, he said, I am the way and the, and the, you guys know your Bible. You're so smart. Um, I am the way, the truth and the life. They were known as that. And so that was, it wasn't until later that everyone was kind of universally known as, you know, Christians or whatever you want to call it. There's also a group now who calls themselves people of the way. Um, don't mess with it. It's kind of uh, not good. Run, 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 run. Um, <laughs> don't get into that. You know, you'll uh, dress weird and eat weird stuff. Don't do it. That's kind of exaggerated, but don't do it, really. Okay. Um, <clears throat> verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, you know, we receive a good income from this business. So you got this uh, guy, Demetrius. And by the way, I love how it starts. Everything's about money, isn't it? It's always about money. Demetrius gets together and he's like, there's some things going on. And he calls these guys together. He's like, hey, fellow craftsmen, you know, we make a good income because of our shrines of Artemis. Now, the reason was when you went to Ephesus and you went to see the temple of Artemis, you wanted Artemis to know that you worshiped and loved Artemis because she would bless you. And if she didn't know you worshiped her and loved her, she would not bless you. So you know what you bought when you went into Ephesus? you would buy a statue of Artemis and you would put it on the outside of your house because you would want Artemis as she looked down from above to see your home and go, ah, they worship me. I'm going to bless that house. But that wasn't good enough. 
You also want a one-year living room because that's where you do your living and you want your living to be blessed, right? So you would buy one and you would put it in your living room, but you would also want to put one at your work because you want a promotion. You don't want to get fired. So you're going to need to buy a third statue and you're going to put it on your desk at work because you want Artemis to bless that. And if you have children, you definitely want one of those in your children's room because you don't want Artemis to look badly upon her. So you bought a fourth statue and you put it in there. And then you want your food to taste good. And you know, food poisoning, that's a bad deal. So you want a bit one in your kitchen. Definitely want there. And then no one wants things to go wrong in the bathroom. So you definitely want a sixth one in the bathroom. Like you would buy six, seven, eight every year. And then you wanted the new ones because the next year they put out, you know, the iPhone 10 and you definitely want the Artemis 10. You don't want the old model. So you go and you buy one every year. They're going and they're buying six, seven, eight statues of Artemis because you want the latest and the best thing. You know, all these priests are like, I got a vision from God and she looks like this now. And so you would buy, so these people made lots and lots of money building these statues of Artemis. So Demetrius calls these people together. And he's like, hey, you know, we make a good income from this business. Let's go to verse 26. And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Paul's doing work, right? Paul's doing it. We've got, we got a problem here in Ephesus. Not only we got a problem here where people worship God or worship her around the clock, everyone comes from all over Asia. We got a million people who come here every year and they're buying our statues. And all of a sudden, he says, man-made gods are no gods at all. That's a problem for my business, right? I got to keep my work, my doors open. So he, of course, spends it as every uh, good business person does that's trying not to lose money. Uh, so there is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good, good name, but also, verse 27, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. We got a problem. Let me make a side note here. I like to make tangents. Um, if believers are doing work, it's going to affect everything. We think success is people in these seats. That ain't success. If believers are doing work, it's going to affect the economy. It's going to affect the political structure. It's going to affect the schools. It's going to affect, you don't think it affects the economy? I think the statistic is if uh, the people who call themselves Christian in the U.S. actually tied 10%, I think they'd have the sixth highest economy in all the world. But we don't. So it doesn't affect. If people are doing what they're supposed to do, it'll have a bigger impact than just more people in our seats that we need more small groups for and uh, bigger buildings. It'll have a way bigger impact. These people got it. We ought to also. They said, this is a problem. Not only is it affecting our business, but it's affecting the fact that the great goddess Artemis is being discredited and her temple, which is our crown jewel, is now in trouble. So being, and this is why you know this is totally a group of dudes. Um, verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, which is such a funny way to deal with this. Like, you know, she, my wife would be like, let's sit down and make a 10-step, five-year plan. And I would be like, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis. Like, that's my anger, my response. That's what they did. They start walking through the streets saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 29, listen to this. This story is crazy. If you don't like the Bible, you haven't read it. Verse 29, soon the whole city... 300,000 people, New York City, LA, Tokyo, London, the whole city was in an uproar. 
They, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man in the theater. Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's disciples, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, they're hanging out, doing their thing, you know, eating a sandwich, and they hear this crowd, great, as artists, they grab these kids and rush them into a theater. They soil their togas, and they're sitting there like, what is happening? Um, they rushed as, uh, and they rushed them into the theater. Let's go back to history, shall we? Uh, we have a couple slides here. The theater in Ephesus is super famous. It's still there, right there. Here's one picture of the theater in Ephesus. Um, it's really cool. If you're standing right here, like where these people are standing, and you're just like talking in the volume that I can, if you're on the top row, you can hear. Super cool. I don't know how they did stuff like that. We struggled to build a Taco Bell in three months. Next, next uh, thing. There we go. There's another, there's a picture of it. it seats 25,000 people. You're 15, 16 years old. These people grab you. They rush you into the theater. 25,000 people pack this thing out. There was this big structure down here and all this. We'll talk about that later. 25,000 people in an uproar because of Paul and a couple of kids rush them into the theater. This is where the Bible gets really cool. Verse 32, one of my favorite verses. Again, why we know there are 25,000 men right here. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not know why they were there. <laughs> All scripture is God breathed, amen? Some were shouting one thing, some another. You hear, you're just walking down the street and talking to your buddy and you see this crowd going, great is Artemis with Ephesians. You're like, yeah, I'll go with that, okay, yeah. I just picture it, somebody's like, great is Artemis. Someone else is like, let's go Packers, like, <laughs> like. So can you just imagine there's chanting, great, is Artemis of the Ephesians? You see your buddy, hey, what are you doing here? Someone said free beer. I, I, that's what I imagine. These just, what are they doing? The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of them didn't know why they were there. 25,000 people packing that place out with two kids standing there who are Paul's disciples, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, been talking about this Jesus guy. The place is freaking out. So let's go to verse 33. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to them. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense for the people, because he's like, you guys don't even know what's happening. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. 25,000 people. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. She was a big deal. You get that, right? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 35, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the garden of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. Again, these elected people, these were people who were elected in no short reason because they were, what? Artemis worshipers, okay? Now let's hop back a minute. It says, soon, let's go back to verse 29. Soon, as the whole city was in uproar, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, rushed as one man into the theater. Go to verse 30. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd but the disciples would not let him. Um, verse 31, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Okay, we see Paul be crazy a few times, right? 
25,000 people shouting in unison for two hours and Paul's like, let me in there. Now you see why he writes crazy things in the New Testament, like to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Like, can't you see that here? And look what it says. The disciples are like holding Paul back. He's like, look at all those people. What an opportunity. Let me in there. I'd love to talk to him. 25,000 people in one place. I've been, you know how long it takes to talk to 25,000 people in the year 50? <laughs> a long time. And he's got a huge crowd, the biggest crowd he's ever had. He's like, let me in there. And the disciples are holding him back. And then it says, some of the city officials, comma, friends of Paul, begged him not to go into the theater. Well, how did you become a city official in Ephesus? Worshiping Artemis. Artemis chose you. And Artemis chose you in no short part because you had the most statues of all. People, when we go at people with an agenda, they can sniff you out. If Paul would have gone in there and you're bad and not the devil and your God is horrible and I'm gonna do all these things, they would have been like, get out of here, you crazy man. But these city officials, Artemis followers, are, the word is begging him not to go into the theater. This guy did something the right way. We're gonna see what that was in a minute. And then you've already seen Alexander got pushed to the front to defend him and they shot him down. And then the city clerk comes to the defense of Paul and his traveling companions. And he's like, don't mess with them, don't mess with them. Let's go to verse 30. Uh, look at that verse 36. Again, Artemis, which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. Verse 37, you have brought these men here though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If there's a verse to underline in the Bible, it's that one. Verse 37, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. When I hear believers begin to bash culture, when I see Christians begin to attack other Christians, when I myself feel the need to go after this issue or that issue, something in me begins to stir. You see, because when I see us attack this and Hollywood's going to hell and these movies are making us bad, these video games and these people are doing this and I'm standing for this, what it tells me is this, we really lack confidence that the story we should be telling is actually that great. If we really believed that the gospel of Jesus is the greatest story ever told, why do we waste so much breath telling other stories? Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus walk into Ephesus, start talking about Jesus and the whole city flips out. And what does it say? They have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Read the book of Ephesians. You know what you won't find in that book even one time? They never even mention her by name. They don't waste their breath talking about anything except Jesus of Nazareth. And what I see is our cultural believers going after this and going after this, we lack confidence that Jesus is enough to fix everything. He's enough. But we feel like we gotta attack, there's a time and a place, hear me say this, there's a time and a place to speak for and against things, absolutely, but not at the sake of the name and the power of Jesus. That has the power to change. We think we're gonna fix everything by taking this stand and pushing this issue and leaving Jesus out of it because that makes us look kind of, you know, if I bring Jesus into it, then I'm, then I'm this kind of person. No, 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 no. Jesus is enough to change it. We try to fix everything. Hey, guess what, guys? You couldn't even fix yourself. Christ had to do that. 
We don't have the power of resurrection. We don't have the power of life and death. We aren't going to fix anything without Jesus, nothing. And until we capture that, look, your Twitter account doesn't have the power to create change. Your Facebook account doesn't have the power to create change. Your social media doesn't have the power to create change. That article you like and read, you don't have the power to create change without the name and the power of the blood of Jesus on your lips. That's what has the power to create change. They never even mention Artemis by name. They just start talking about Jesus of Nazareth and what he did and what he is doing and the whole city is flipping out. That's the name that should be on our lips. And so often we like to let people know that we're religious and we're spiritual and we go to church, but I don't wanna bring up Jesus because of how that makes me look. We've actually convinced ourselves that mentioning Jesus or God or Christ is a negative argument. It will make us look worse because then we're just those religious people. We've actually convinced us that it hurts our arguments. So I'll post this article and I'll mention this and I'll tweet this person. And I'm saying, Jesus is enough. But I think we lack that confidence that it is. Jesus is enough. His name needs to be at the forefront of our mouths. Let's go to this, verse 38. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, again, he's saying they've neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges, which is like the first time in history somebody said, you got a problem, there's a form you can fill out. Um, verse 39, if there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly as it is we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. They're just talking about a man. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. 25,000 people, scatter. Chapter 20, verse one, this is great. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. What? Like, I picture it like, you know, like the post-basketball uh, game locker room scene where the guys are in there and Paul's like, what was it like? Were they, uh, were, they, uh, were, they, were they really yelling at you? Was it loud? And the kids are like, yeah, it was loud. And he's like, that was awesome. I was back there and I wanted to come in, but they wouldn't let me. They even wrote me like a letter, wouldn't let me in. Uh, did you tell them about the time you walked on water? They're like, uh, we didn't get a chance. And he's like, ooh, that was a good story. Or what about Lazarus? Did they know that Lazarus was dead and he's not anymore? Oh, that was crazy. And they're like, ah, yeah, we just stood there and cried. Um, and Paul's like, you guys totally survived that riot. Okay, you stay here, I'm out. You guys got it, see ya. And they're like, uh, wait, Paul, uh, excuse me, Paul? And he's like, I'll see you guys. I'll write you a letter in a few years. And he leaves, he just leaves. A few years later, imagine you were sitting in Ephesus and you receive a letter from Paul from Ephesians chapter one. And Paul's letter begins like this, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three is where we get scary. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh-oh. You're sitting in Ephesus and you get to verse three and you start hiding the letter. Like, oh, you see, because if these people bless the God of Jesus, who don't they bless? Artemis. 
And if every good blessing comes from God, then I guess nothing good comes from her. And she's not God at all. Do you see why people got killed for this book? Those verses that we just skip over because we're like, every spiritual blessing is blah, blah, blah. When you know what's going on in the city, um, that's why people were killed in Ephesus. Verse three. In just under a hundred years from the events of Acts chapter 19, the city of Ephesus, this like makes me emotional. The city of Ephesus is a dominant center of Jesus worship. It's estimated that 90% of the population were followers of Christ. And there's no mention of Artemis to be found in any book, in any school, on any scroll. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And when we shrink the gospel down as a ticket out of hell and into heaven, please don't call that my gospel of Jesus. Don't call that the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is a story of revolution that flips cities upside down. That's the gospel. That's what we get up here every week and tell you about. That's what we're begging you to be fired up about. The gospel of Jesus is a story of revolution that can change everything because it already has and it will continue to do so. That's the gospel of Jesus. Amen? It is not a ticket. Oh, we'll get you out of hell and into heaven, but it'll change everything about everything about everything too. You wanna make a real change? You start talking about the gospel of Jesus. You wanna be pro this, anti this, vote for this candidate, vote for that candidate. Nothing will matter if we don't take the gospel of Jesus on our lips and believe it has the power to change everything. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power that sits in those, who, those of us in this room that have been rebu- reborn, renewed, and restored. That's what's in your hearts today. That power. We have a picture up here. I want to put one more. This is from the actual tunnels that are in the theater of Ephesus. And right up these steps is the platform where Gaius and Aristarchus stood with 25,000 people shouting And Paul is standing here, literally being held back by his disciples. He's like, let me in there. Let me in there. Give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. 25,000 people, let me tell them about my Jesus. Let me tell them about what my Jesus did for me. Let me tell them about what my Jesus could do for them. Let me in there. Paul didn't go in there because it was his time to speak. Paul wanted in there because he had something that was a fire in his bones that he couldn't keep in any longer. And he said, hey, if they kill me, I win. And if they don't, Jesus could change everything for them. He could change everything for them. Church, do you get it? All of us have a theater. Like this picture is us. All of us in this room right now are sitting in the tunnel of OKC Community Church. And out these doors is our theater. And they are in confusion. That should break your heart. At your school, they're confused. At your work, they're confused. Some people, your theater is your home, your children, your parents. 
your neighborhood, our city is in confusion. Some are shouting one thing, some are shouting another. Some of these people in our theater care about some things, and some of them care about other things. You know what's real sad is a lot of the people in our theater don't even know why they're here. They don't know why they're on this earth. They no purpose, no passion. And Jesus could change all of that. The gospel of Jesus can change all of it. But we got to bring life to our city. We got to be in here. You should be begging for me to end. Caleb, just stop talking so we can get out there. I got to tell someone about this Jesus. I got to take them a gospel that is a story of revolution that can flip their city upside down. Let me tell them about a gospel that can change an entire family's eternities. Eternity. Let me tell them about a gospel that can flip our city. You think Paul would have heard like, you don't know our city, Caleb. They reject spiritual stuff. You don't know my work. They don't like when I bring religion. You think Paul would have been like, oh yeah, you're right. I'll sit this one out. No, he would have been like, let me in there. Give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. Friends, my prayer, my prayer is that we would want to get in the theater that we would walk out these doors and understanding that there are people in this world who don't know Jesus and that crushes us. There are people in our lives who we actually care about that don't know Jesus. That should break your heart this morning. It should break it. It should break it. And that you would take them, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that comes with the blood of the lamb. That's the power that you have. My prayer is that you're itching to get out of here because you're somebody you've got to tell about this Jesus. I'm not going to waste my breath telling other stories today. I want to talk about this Jesus. Because you have something to say because it's a fire in your bones that you can't keep in anymore. And if you're in here and you've been reborn and renewed by the blood of the Lamb, hear me say this, church. You have something to say. You have a lot to say. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And then it has the power to transform everything about everything. Father, I pray right now for our theaters. There are people in confusion. They've put their trust in some things. Other people have put their trust in other things. All of them will fail them. Some people in our theater, God, they don't even know why they're here. Lord, you can change all of that. I pray you make us passionate this morning to bring the gospel of Jesus where it needs to go, to our workplace, to our homes, to our schools, that nothing would get in our way, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task, but we would look at it as what an opportunity. What are they going to do to me? To live as Christ, but to die is gain. I'd do anything to get them the name of my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Father, I pray that you stir us up today. You use these words to convict us, to change us, to cause us to soar, and that the kingdom would be advanced because we at OKC Community were ready to get out of the tunnel and into the theater. I pray we walk out of this room differently, Lord, than the way we walked in. It's in your name we pray.